0: Well, we're going to spend our last Sunday here in our sermon series, Upside Down Kingdom. And we've journeyed a long way as we've gone through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, looking at this abundant life that Jesus has come to give anybody, anywhere, that, would, that will simply receive his invitation to come be with him, to learn from him how to live. Out his kingdom ways and this morning we are going to finish up last Sunday's sermon which was focused remember it was focused on two uh, paths that lead to two different destinations right two different gates that lead to two different path, paths that lead to two different destinations Jesus he concludes the sermon on the mount by now talking about two different trees and two different houses So we're going to check out what he had to say about these things and how it pertains to life in his kingdom and how it pertains to our life today. So let's pray, let's ask his help, and let's check it out. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit to understand. We need your spirit to live out what you are saying here in the passage that we are going to look at. And so, Lord, we ask. Because we know that you are a good Father who loves, who delights in giving us what we need. And so we trust you're going to give us understanding. You're going to give us enlightenment. You're going to give us revelation here this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me read the passage that we're going to be focused on this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 29. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 29. Beware of false prophets. So this is Jesus speaking, right? He's preaching his Sermon on the Mount to his audience, which were many. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so... Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. and the rain descended, the floods came And the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus, he, he starts out this passage talking about tree identification, right? Anytime I think of trees and identifying trees, I think of uh, my 10th grade year. I think it was in the dreaded leaf project that I had to complete. And I... <laughs> Of course, waited till the week it was due to even start collecting the, I don't know, over a hundred different types of leaves that we needed to collect for the project. Um, and so, I think what I did, this is what I remember: I think I got a friend's project from the year before and tried to turn that in. That did not work. For those of you who knew Mrs. Rob at Maslin. She did not play around, and she snuffed that out right from the beginning, and it did not go well with me and Mrs. Robb. So I learned my lesson. Jesus, he's saying here in this passage that, look, if you're standing in front of a tree and you are looking, uh, hoping to identify what sort of tree you're looking at, you got one one way you can do this, and one pretty surefire way of determining what tree you're looking at is by looking at its fruits. If you find that there are apples on the tree, guess what? It's an apple tree. An apple tree has never produced grapes. Apples every time, right? And the same thing goes for any other tree. Pear trees only produce pears. And so if you find a pear on the tree, you know it's a pear tree. And so it's this fruit-inspecting I- identification process that is trustworthy and true. Now, if you try and determine like what sort of tree it is by looking at its bark or its trunk or its limbs, you're going to have trouble, right? Because a lot of trees look awfully similar when you just look at those those aspects you must inspect the, tr- the 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 trees fruits jesus was using this analogy because he was saying look this is how you can determine if a person is a true prophet of god or a false prophet In order to decipher between the true prophet and the false prophet, you have to look at the fruit that the person's life is producing. That's the only way you're going to know the difference between the two. I would also say that Jesus is saying that we can use this test this identification process, to decipher between a true disciple and a false disciple. So it's not just for prophets, but for disciples of Christ. You have to look at the fruit to determine if, it's, if a person is a true disciple of Christ or a false disciple of Christ. That will tell you if they are the real deal or not. Now, this leads us to a question. What is the good fruit that we are looking for so that we know whether a person is a true disciple of Christ or not? What does that good fruit look like? Because if we don't know what we're looking for, it's easy to be deceived, isn't it? I mean, some trees from a distance can look like an apple tree, but a, when you get closer, they're not an apple tree. Some trees can look really good, even up close, and it, can, and it can look like good fruit, but really inside is poison. My boys and I, we love watching Bear Grylls and his different adventures as he goes in the wild, and more than one time, he has said on TV, yeah, this looks like something that's edible and would taste good and be good. But he said, if you don't know what you're looking for, he said this, you're going to bite into it, and this stuff could lead to nasty, nasty results, right? So we have to know what kind of fruit we're looking at if we are going to do this well. And This whole idea that looks can be deceiving is what I think Jesus was getting at in verses 21 through 23 when he said, many will say to me in that day, in that day is referring to judgment day when Jesus returns to judge every person that has ever lived. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So you would think that prophesying, casting out demons, performing other miraculous things would be fruit, right, of a true disciple. And Jesus is saying here, it's not, that's not the good fruit that you should be looking for. And so we must have a trained eye to distinguish the good fruit that Jesus is saying a true disciple, a true prophet will exhibit in their life. So what's the good fruit? Jesus gives us the answer in verse 21. Well, he sort of gives us the answer. Check it out. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he Who does the will of my Father in heaven? You see, a true prophet, a true disciple of Jesus will be a person that does the will of God. A person with real, genuine faith will do the will of God. That is the good fruit we must look for. But what is the will of God, right? If that's the good fruit that will hang on the tree of a true disciple's life, what is the will of God that they will be doing? Well, Jesus provides the answer. After saying he will reject the lawless on judgment day, Jesus, he follows that up with those, you know, the lawless are those who don't do his will. Jesus follows it up with this in verses 24. 24. And 26, I'm going to skip 25. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What then is God's will? His sayings. What are Jesus' sayings? Everything that he's been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the will of God. That's Jesus' sayings. And so now we really can answer the question, what is the good fruit that a true disciple will produce? It will be growing, surrendered Obe- growing in, they will grow in surrendered obedience to all that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the fruit that proves that a person has real, genuine faith. What is the fruit of the Sermon on the Mount? Right? So we keep asking these questions to get at it. Everything we've been covering. Doing good to those who oppose you. Faithfulness to your commitments, actions motivated to bring glory to God and not yourself. Generosity, total dependence on God through prayer, an enjoyment of an intimate relationship with God, a non, uh, or I should say a joyous, non-anxious life, righteous anger that is controlled, an accurate view of your own shortcomings and flaws. Immense gratitude for God's grace towards you. Patience with the failings of others. Work to help people enter the narrow gate and walk the difficult path that leads to the destination of abundant life in his kingdom. This is the good fruit. This is the, these are the sayings of Jesus. This is the will of God for your life it right here this is what we are to be looking for you see a life marked by this fruit a life adorned with this fruit can only come from one place it only comes from one source God in his kingdom notice now the fruit we are not looking for We are to prove a person is a true disciple. We are not looking for knowing Jesus' teaching by heart and agreeing that it's pretty amazing teaching. We are not looking for correct beliefs about Jesus that Jesus is the Son of God who died on a cross and rose from the dead. We are not looking for participation in church activities. We are not even looking for miraculous, the miraculous prophecy and exorcisms. These things are important, but they're not the measure of a true disciple of Christ. At least Jesus said that's not how we're to measure a true disciple of Christ. Look, a person can know Jesus' teaching by heart and even agree that it's this amazing teaching, but do none of it. You can have correct beliefs about Jesus. You can believe he died on a cross. You can believe he rose again and bear none of the fruits mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. There are people who hold to sound doctrine that are some of the most judgmental, arrogant people you'll ever meet. Satan believes that Jesus died on a cross and rose again. You can participate in church activities your entire life and in the end still be a person that nobody wants to be around. And as Jesus said, you can even perform miracles in his name. Being all about attracting glory to yourself and not to to Christ. And you could be doing those miracles through a demonic power. And so it's absolutely crucial for us to stop here. This is so critical. You got to hear this. Is any of the fruit that Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount evident in your life? Is it there? Are you growing in your ability to forgive? Are you noticing that you don't hold grudges and resentment and bitterness like you used to? Are you noticing that you're growing in your patience in terms of dealing with the failings of others? Are you noticing that certain things that used to just infuriate you are not driving you nuts like they did before? Are you noticing that you are worrying less? You're fearing less? Are you noticing that when a conflict arises, you're much more quick to look at your contribution to the problem than to shift the blame to other people? Are you noticing that you're initiating more tough, awkward conversations? In order to pursue peace in your relationships. And we could go on and on and on with this. The point is if this fruit is not in your life to some measure, and if this fruit is not increasing in your life, you have to ask the question are you really in Christ through faith? Look, we're not looking for perfect obedience, right? Even mature followers of Christ stumble and fall. But we are looking for growing obedience. Even a brand new baby Christian, they may not have any real fruit in their lives just yet because fruit takes time to grow, But there's going to be something there. And maybe it's just they are now abiding in Christ so that they will, in time, be able to bear fruit. Jesus taught that we are to assess the genuineness and the maturity of our faith by looking at our obedience to his teaching. That's our measurement. Because we may have real faith, but it may be really immature, which means living out the Jesus way isn't even close to natural for us yet. And as important as church involvement is and Bible study and biblical knowledge all are, they should never be used to assess a person's faith in terms of their genuineness and their maturity level. I don't know how often I get this response when I ask people, how are you doing in your faith journey? I'm I'm reading my Bible. As if reading your Bible is the end goal. It's not. It's a means to grow in surrendered obedience to all that Jesus taught. Tell me how you're doing with that, and I'll tell you how you're doing in your faith. And I'll tell you if you have it. Now, Jesus goes on and he finishes his Sermon on the Mount with explaining exactly what sort of life will be produced if a person is a true disciple and is committed to being with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live like Jesus. Dahlia's life is the sort of life that that Jesus will produce, They will have a house. So now Jesus goes from talking about trees to talking about houses. They will have a house that is like, or they will have a life that is like a house that is built on bedrock, that is, that is able to weather the fiercest prolonged storms. See that man right there? Ed Hodgson, walking into our sanctuary. He has a life That is grounded and rooted on the foundation, the bedrock of Jesus Christ. And he is weathering one of life's most difficult storms as he stared death right in the face with Christ. A person that's with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus will eventually have the sort of life that can stand up to anything. Do you want an unshakable life? Do you want an unbreakable life? Do you want an unmovable life? Guess what? You have got to be anchored. You have got to be built on an unshakable, immovable, undestructible, unbeatable foundation. That's the only way you are going to have an unbeatable life. The good news is that's what Jesus is offering here in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the invitation Jesus extends. Come be with me, the Father in the Spirit. We are unshakable. We are immovable. Our kingdom is a kingdom that will not end. Come, yoke yourself to us. Anchor yourself in us, and we will give you that unshakable life that is able to stand up against life's fiercest storms. Now, and then we will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, What does he say? He says, uh, in his confusion. So, if you enter a storm and it's confusing, you'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, but I'm not in despair. And if one of life's storms it, it brings persecution for your faith, you'll be able to say with Paul, but I am not abandoned. And if one of life's storms manifests itself in the terms of knocking yourself off of your feet, you'll be able to say with Paul, but I'm not destroyed. This is what Jesus, a life in his kingdom, can produce. A rock-solid faith, because it stands on a rock-solid foundation, and that leads to a rock-solid life. Or we could say, we can go back to the tree metaphor, and we can look at Psalm 1 that Kevin read. Life with Jesus will produce a man that is blessed, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Check this out. Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Are you connected to the river of life through trust and obedience? If so, you are going to be a healthy tree that bears much sermon on the mount fruit, even in times of droughts. Now, this all, of course, means that anything else that we anchor ourselves to is unstable at best. It's like a pile of sand or a polluted river. And we talk often about the, all these different piles of sand that people attempt to build a life on that are unstable. And you're sick of hearing me talk about these unstable foundations. I am sure because I'm sick of talking about them. But I need to keep mentioning them because they are so prevalent in our world. If you build your life on the unstable foundation of money, if you anchor your soul there, what happens during the next economic downturn? And what happens if the next life storm you encounter is a messed up marriage? Can your money fix that? No, but it surely can destroy your marriage. And money is, I think, the second second most frequent reason why people get divorced. And if your soul is anchored to your looks, what happens when your body starts to age and your looks start to fade or you get in an accident that alters your appearance forever? And if your soul's anchored to the opinions of you, what happens when somebody starts uh, spreading a, a rumor that's false about you? And if your success, if your life is uh, anchored to this idea of success and achievement and that's the rock or the pile of sand that you're trying to stand on, what happens when you fail? And if your anchor is being this athlete that people admire, what happens when your playing days are over or you retire? All these anchors... Uh, All these piles of sand we try to anchor ourselves to, they are unstable. They are just waiting for the right set of circumstances to come along and to totally knock that foundation of sand out of you and cause you to go tumbling down with it. Maybe you're thinking, though, this morning, you know what? I feel like, I don't know if I believe you, I I feel like I know people that seem happy and content without Jesus in their life. And there are definitely those people that um, appear to be that way. Just a couple of thoughts for you. One is... Uh, my job is unique in the sense that I get, to, I get an inside look at a lot of people's lives, and what I have found is that most people are not as happy as they appear to be. Here's the second thing that I've found. Some people are happy and content, but it's only a matter of time because they're standing on a foundation made of sand. It's only a matter of time until those right set of circumstances come along, and they are then thrown into utter despair. But there are those people that seem to walk through the entirety of this life, this side of the grave, happy and content. If you read Psalm 73, it's a whole lament about these people that are really even wicked people, but yet they're just like fat and happy. And and, uh, the psalmist of that chapter is just so upset with God is like, how could this be? This is not fair, Lord. Even if you were to somehow make it all the way through life that way, that kind of life will not stand up against Christ's judgment. And then that will be the storm that will utterly ruin and destroy you, the scriptures tell us. And that's why 2 Peter 3 says the reason Jesus hasn't returned, because God is a merciful, patient God, and he's giving time for people to unanchor themselves to these unstable piles of sand and anchor themselves to the rock of Christ. So that people will not stand before Jesus when they breathe their last and say, and hear him say, you know, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. But instead, we'll hear Matthew 25, 34. This is what he desires for us all to hear. Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. His delay is grace on his part. Who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so let me wrap up with this. Have you connected the roots of your life to Christ and his kingdom through repentance and faith? Are you standing on the rock? And if you say that, if not, you need to do that. There's nothing, there's, I know like the Browns are playing and that's urgent. I cannot wait to watch the game. I know there are a ton of things in your life right now that are urgent. There's nothing more urgent than rooting yourself in Christ through repentance and faith. It's the most, we say this often, it's the most important decision you will ever make. Because it sets the trajectory of your life now and forever. If you say that you have turned to Jesus in repentance and faith, does your life, is it adorned, is it marked with the fruit of the Sermon on the Mount? If it is not, either you have not really given your life to Christ, you haven't really surrendered in repentance and faith, or... You are backsliding or you're stumbling. And so what if this school year was dedicated above everything else to be with Jesus, to learn, with him, learn from him how to live like him? So that the Sermon on the Mount fruit is exhibited in your life in abundant ways. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are always tempted to believe by our culture, by um, other people, that there are other foundations that are stable foundations to build our life on. Lord, I pray that... uh, you would affirm to us again the fact, the truth, that you are the only stable foundation because you do not change. You do not alter. You're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you are good. And you are loving. And you are all-powerful, and you are all-wise. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be anybody that would walk out of these doors that has not received that invitation to build their life on you. And Lord, I pray that we would not, that Satan would not dupe us into thinking that the measure of our fruitfulness or our um, maturity in you is by Bible reading or church attendance or church activity, as important as those things are, Lord, I pray that we would measure the genuineness of our faith in the maturity of our faith based on our obedience to what you have taught. Lord, we understand that unless we abide in you, there's no way we can bear this kingdom fruit. And so, Lord, if there are people here today that for whatever reason have gotten off that narrow, difficult path and they've gotten sidetracked, Lord, that you today would place them back on that path so that they're heading in the direction to abundant life with you in increasing measure day by day. And Lord, I know that if we are a body of believers that is growing in surrendered obedience to all that you've taught, Lord, I know and believe that there will be transformation that then comes to the systems, the networks in which we operate on a daily basis. Lord, the change of our world starts with us.